Well, good morning. Good to see you today. What beautiful weather this weekend, huh? I hope you've been able to enjoy that and be outside and be a part of that. We're excited to be here today. We're excited for you to be with us. We're excited to give you a couple of uh, awesome announcements today. I'm going to tell you the second one later, but the first one, uh, many of you know, a week or so ago, we um, had Brian McClure here as uh, worship leader, and the church board uh, met with him last week and voted to hire him, and he accepted that. And so Brian will be serving as our full-time worship leader starting April 2nd. So uh, let's give God a hand for that. That's awesome. And if you see Matt, Matt's the one who's been leading the last few months. Uh, Matt's a full-time college student, and so he's excited to, uh, to have a little bit of a break there. But make sure and let Matt know uh, that you appreciate him. We appreciate you. We're in a series called More Than Happy, and we've been learning that there's more to life than happiness. Essentially, that God values us being holy more than he does us being happy. And as we talk about that today, um, here's our little series trailer or series thought today. What God wants to do in you and through you is more important than what you want God to do for you. If you've missed the last couple of weeks or you're new for the first time, I'm going to say that for, for those of us who haven't heard this before. What God wants to do in you and through you is more important than what you want God to do for you. And Jesus understood that, uh, that really most of our lives are not about trying to be what Christ wants us to be. Most of our lives are trying to somehow be happy. And we're, be, we're talking about the Beatitudes, and I want to share with you, probably Jesus would call us before we come to Christ, and maybe even sometimes after we come to Christ, if we're not careful, we don't have the Beatitudes, we have the Me-attitude, which is, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for being right in their own eyes, let's finish it together, for they will be filled with themselves. Now, as we kind of look at that, we might laugh or chuckle, but the truth is, whether we want to admit it or not, there's times in our life where whether we're doing it on purpose or, or not realizing we're doing it, we're filled with our own rightness and what we view as being right. And what ends up happening is we end up being filled with ourselves, which people see that and they're like, oh my, they're full of themselves. But you know, there's times in our life where what seems right isn't always right in God's eyes. Let me say it this way. What seems to be right in our own eyes isn't always right for us in God's eyes. In other words, there's things in our life that Solomon says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but it, its end is the way to death. In other words, what he's saying here is there's going to be times where what seems right isn't right. We've shared this the last few weeks. I know I'm not giving you new information. But what seems right is when someone hurts us to lash out. That's what seems right. What seems right is when someone does us wrong, we kind of, whether we want to or not, we end up kind of holding a grudge if we're not careful. That's what seems and feels right because we want to hold you at a distance because of what, you do, what you've done. What seems right is someone asks us to give up our time, and time is precious. What seems right is to not do that. But what Jesus says is what seems right is to hold a grudge. What seems right is when someone strikes you on the cheek. 
hit him the other way. What seems right is when someone asks your time not to give it to him. But I tell you, turn the other cheek. Forgive 70 times 7. If someone asks you to go a mile, go two. There's a way that seems right, but its end is death. Jesus understood that we crave the natural rather than the supernatural. Let's just break that down for just a minute. I don't crave rice cakes. I don't crave carrots. I don't crave a good salad. Some of you do. That's fine. I crave fried chicken. I crave things that have sugar in them. I crave pop instead of unsweet iced tea. But the problem is, if I trust my cravings, okay, I know I do trust my cravings. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you how to be healthy. I know, I understand that. I know this in my head, right? If I trust what my cravings are, I'm going to end up doing things I shouldn't do. I'm going to eat things I shouldn't eat. And we're all that way. We understand that. You guys know where I'm going with this. We can't always trust what we crave because our cravings can lead us astray. And that's kind of what Jesus was saying. By nature, when we're born, we crave the natural. We crave reacting when someone hurts us. We crave saying something back to the person who said something to us. But as we begin a relationship with Jesus, he starts to curb our cravings. I don't think he changes them. Because Jesus was tempted. We're always going to be tempted. But as we walk with God, our cravings do evolve and they change more and more into who God wants us to be. Now check this out. This is good. I haven't mentioned this in the last two services. We start to crave pleasing God more than we're worried about what the process that's going to look like to get us to please God. We start craving what God wants to do in us more than whether we're happy or not. We start craving saying whatever you want, God, over if it's convenient for me. Our cravings start to evolve and transform. Jesus was teaching this on the mountain. The first three Beatitudes, he's talking about emptying ourselves of the things that aren't pleasing to God. To be poor in spirit instead of being proud to mourn over our sin instead of living in our sin. To be teachable and listen and accept correction rather than just being the boss and not letting anybody tell us what to do. If you haven't caught it, and I was, haven't caught it in the past either, but reading this week, Jesus is talking about emptying ourselves of the things that aren't what they're supposed to be. This cup at the 830 service was full of ice water. And when it's full, I can't put anything else in it. And when we're born, we're full of sin and we're full of self and we're full of our own stuff. And Jesus spends the first three Beatitudes telling us to pour that out. Now that's great. We've emptied ourselves. What is it supposed to be filled with? Jesus says, it's supposed to be filled with righteousness. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When we think of the word righteous, I'm just being honest, it's a church word. It's not a word I would use with friends of mine who don't go to church. It's not a term that I would say because when we think of righteous, we think of stuffy. We think of some, someone who maybe is legalistic or we think of someone who's, who loves God and somebody that we could never be. When we think of the word righteous, probably there's very few of us that see ourselves that way or put ourselves in that category Or maybe we think of others who are judgmental as righteous. But most of our definitions of righteous aren't accurate. And here's what Jesus says the word righteous means when you study it. It means a passionate desire to be made right and do right for God. Righteousness is a passionate desire to be made right with God and to do right for God. In other words, righteousness is not necessarily something that we don't achieve it on our own. It's something that God does in us and through us as we walk with him. So here's the question I have today. How do we get life right? I'm not trying to get on a rabbit trail, but half the time I'm like, Whitney, are we screwing up our kids? Because we don't do it how we're, we don't, you know, I'm not as patient with Noah when he's not getting my coaching principle in the yard as as maybe some of you guys are with your kids. We don't all sit at the table every night like leave it to Beaver and, okay, Sally, now you tell us about your life and what happened today. Now, who's got the floor? You wait your turn. I mean, that's not how we live our life. We're supposed to eat at home every night. We're running. Are we getting it right Have you ever asked that question? I asked that question. Are we getting it right? I mean, a lot of us, not all of us, but a lot of us, we come to church all the time, okay? You're here because you're faithful. You're tired. It's nice outside. Let's wrap this up and leave. And we come to church every week, and do you ever ask yourself, I mean, I'm being honest, am I getting this right? These... People are asking, you know, they they ask me questions about you, Lord. Am I getting this right? Am I telling them right? Am I living right? Is my marriage right? Am I doing the finances right? Are we, am I helping people right? Am I spending enough time at home with my kids right? Are we taking vacation when we're supposed to right? I mean, we ask these questions. How do we get it right? What what does that mean? Am I saying too much to my, my grown children about how they're supposed to raise their kids? Or am I saying too little? What's that look like? How am I supposed to get that right? <clears throat> we ask this question all the time. So how in the world do we get it right with God? And I want to share with you three things that are simple steps. As I, as I kind of studied over this, I started with all this stuff, and I just kept just whittling it down, whittling it down, whittling it down, whittling it down. Okay, what is God saying? Here's what I think I got out of this. There's three things, according to to the study that we put together, three things we need to do to get life right. I'm not talking just about marriage or parenting or finances. Life with God. Simple three things. Be right, do right, which means we finish right. Let's say those three things. Be right, do right, finish right. 
Be right, do right, finish right. Here it is. Being made right with God and doing right for God is the answer to finishing right beside God. That took me two weeks to come up with that phrase. Being made right with God and doing right for God is the answer to finishing right beside God. The answer to getting it right is that simple. Being made right with God and doing right for God is the answer to finishing right with God. So let's talk about that first part. Getting right with God means being made right with God. How are we made right with God? We know in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, that we were created in God's image. We were made in God's image. But we know that sin entered the world when Adam and Eve ate of the apple, and we begin to try to become like God and make our own decisions. And, you know, that's not just outside the church. That happens inside the church, too. In fact, most of the Bible, God is talking to supposedly the followers of God. He's talking to Israel in the Old Testament. You see him all throughout the New Testament Testament saying, brothers and sisters. What's that mean? It means most of the time he's talking to the people who say that they are followers. Brothers and sisters. You are called to be made right with God. Listen to this. Paul says to his sec- in his second letter to Corinth, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. That should be good news to us. So that we could, let's finish it, be made right with God through Christ. Paul says in his first letter to Corinth, God has united you with Christ Jesus. Now don't overlook that. Has anybody in here been skydiving before? Me neither. Smart people. But you know there's two ways you can skydive. One is you can jump out of the plane by yourself after you've spent so many hours studying and you know all the different things you gotta do. And the other way is if you don't want to go through, you know, however many hours of training to be able to do it by yourself, you just go, you pay your money, you know, by switching to Geico and you save fifteen percent, not really. But you go and you sign up and you go and you're there for a couple hours and you're strapped to a person who knows what they're doing and they jump out of the plane and while you're screaming, we're all going to die, why did I do this? Or in my case, would probably pass out. While you're doing one of those two things, the person who's trained pulls the cord and you can safely, keyword, land on the ground and the guy in the air says, stick your feet up, stick your feet up so you don't break your ankles when you hit the ground. I've never... I've never actually skydived before, but I stayed in a Holiday Inn Express, so I know how this works. Stick your feet up, stick your feet up, and you hit the ground. I share that with you today. For those in here that would say, I'm not good enough. I could never be righteous. You don't know what they did to me. I could never be holy. You don't know what I did to someone else. Can I tell you, I could never jump out of a plane... I could never be holy enough. In fact, the Bible says no one is, not even one. So however holy or however self-righteous you are, or however far you've been or down you've been, or the stories you could tell that would 
you're so ashamed of. Christ died for the Judas and he died for the Peter. Christ died for the person who we think is full of themselves. And Christ died for the one who wants to kill themselves. That was good. I just came up with that. Christ died for everyone. And as a result of that, we can understand that it's Jesus. It's all about what Jesus did. It's all about his work on the cross. It's about what he's done. He purchased. He bought our righteousness. It's not something we own or possess. It's something we connect ourselves to. The same way you would connect yourself to someone, don't know why you do it, that would jump out of a plane and, and make sure that we land safely. So this morning, I just want to kill, I want to kill it, the, the idea that you are righteous or I am righteous by ourselves. And I want to kill the idea that we could never be righteous because we don't possess it. I want to kill both those ideas and share what God is saying. It's through his righteousness that we are the righteousness of God. Are you made right? What does that look like? saying, I acknowledge what you did for me. We got a debit card the other day in the mail. And it wouldn't work until we called and activated it. Does that make sense? You have salvation waiting on you when you're ready to activate it. When you're ready to say, Jesus, I acknowledge. I activate what you did for me. I acknowledge it. It's about accepting it. So let me just say this right now. The only difference between someone who's who's a Christian and someone who isn't is a Christian is someone who's accept what Jesus has done for them. Someone who isn't a Christian has not accepted that yet. Sometimes we assume that as a Christian that we've got our lives together better than someone else. Well, as God works in us, that happens. But we're just one peasant telling another peasant where the food is. We're one peasant telling another peasant where the food is. It's not us. It's him. I become less so God can become more. We're made right The Bible also talks about that by our fruits, we will recognize them. You know, you hear that scripture that says, judge not lest ye be judged. And you hear people say, well, don't judge me. But you know, when you study that, it doesn't mean don't judge me. It means if you're going to judge, you better judge correctly. Instead of just passing a judgment on someone by, by the way they look or the cover, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. It's saying to judge wisely and correctly. We have to make judgment calls. When a stranger knocks on my door at 1030 at night, I got to judge. I got to make a judgment call. Do I let them in or does this not feel right? We're called to judge, but we don't always judge correctly. People say, well, you don't judge me. Listen, we're going to be judged. And by, the, by our fruits, We will be recognized. What's that mean? We're not saved by our works, but we are saved for our works. How do we get right with God? We're made right and we're called to do 
right. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Jesus is saying there, love is an action. Have you ever told your husband or your wife, don't just tell me you love me, show me. Clean up the house. Plan a date. Take the trash out. Easy wit, don't say anything. (laughs) If you love me, you will let your good deeds shine before men to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. Jesus said that. If you love me, you will let your good deeds shine before men. Now, sometimes we we have a definition of that, and I don't think we've got the same definition that God does. You know, at work, when you're in the lunchroom and everybody's gossiping about one of the people that you work with because they're hard to deal with, letting your good deeds shine before men is choosing not to join in in that situation, and instead of throwing gas on it, you throw water on it, or you walk away from the situation. Or when they look at you and say, well, what do you think? You're able to say, you know, everybody, we've all got our warts. Let your good deeds shine out. So that God can get the credit. For we are God's masterpiece, Paul says. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus For a specific reason, it's on the screen. You weren't just created a masterpiece to sit so that you could do good things he had planned for us long ago. I have a friend named Chuck. He's a firefighter. He bought a a Vishala bird dog several years ago. Some of you have heard this story before. Bear with me. He bought this bird dog so he could take it on hunts. And when he shot a bird, the dog would go grab the bird. He bought this dog so the dog would smell where the birds are and go on point and then stir that bird up so he could shoot the bird. That's what he bought the dog for. But when he bought the dog and he shot the gun in the air, the dog, if you've seen the movie Funny Farm where the dog just takes off, when he shot the gun in the air, the dog would just out, out, and run off and would not do what he's supposed to. So what he bought the dog for was to be a bird dog, but what he actually ended up getting was a house dog. (laughs) And you know how much energy a bird dog has? They may be afraid of a gun, but you know how much energy they have? So he had this spaz dog that slept inside and was afraid of everything and everybody and didn't want to hunt. And we laugh at that because it's funny. Are we that bird dog? God designed us to be this masterpiece. And yet, we have the look of a bird dog. We sit in this church. We listen to music, maybe Christian music on the way to work. We wear the t-shirts. We say grace before we eat. We have the look. But when life gets hard and the gun goes off, we just sit there. What good is a vehicle if it sits in the driveway? It's designed to run. 
dog, a bird dog, is designed to hunt. A horse is designed to... Horses don't lay down, they stand. They're not designed to be on the ground. And we are God's masterpiece, not just to think, oh good, I'm, I can be a narcissist. I can, I can believe I'm something because God made me. No, God said you're a masterpiece to do good things. He has planned for us long ago. We're starting to see that. We've seen that. This church has been that way for as long as... Jim's been here probably longer than that. This church is generous. We see people getting involved. I don't understand how this church annually sends all the kids to camp that want to go. I don't understand it. And when the, when the community shared about the Lord's Diner, we had 95 people not just sign up, but sign up and go to the training to be a part of it. You see a few of them there that are serving Many of you signed up to be a part of the flash mob that we had one story. It was a lady who doesn't go to our church. She's got three kids and going through a hard time. And we had several show up and just go in and love on her in a tangible way. And it impacted her. She was very grateful and her family was grateful. Folks, we're called to do good things for God's glory. In simple ways, like shoes. We adopted the middle school a while back, and there's a lot of kids. They don't have shoes. They're, or they're, they've got holes in them and all kinds of things. And, man, you guys were so generous to be involved in that. And we should be involved in that. Because we're called to do things. And sometimes it's tangible things like that. Sometimes it's just listening to your kids or taking cookies to your next door neighbor or actually stopping and trying to find out someone's story. We're called to do things. I want to share with you the other announcement I, that we're excited about. One of the things we want to do is reach out and help Pittsburgh State University in a tangible way. We've been praying about what that looks like. And a while back, we uh, this is our church property here, um, this is our church, and this is the gym. This is our property line. So that, that big box there is, is our current property. So a while back I shared with you that there's a house that's for sale just a couple houses over. And it's this spot right here on your screen, the smaller box. And we've been praying about how we can utilize that house to minister to college students. And so, and there's a picture of the house there. Um, we tried to buy it several months back, and it went into probate. And so, I'm not a real estate agent, but essentially it just got tied up to where we couldn't get it. And it came free here a while back, and uh, we, the church board voted this last week to purchase that house for $127,000. We have the cash to pay for it, so we don't need to take out a loan or anything on it like that. But the purpose of of this is to do good, to do things for God. We're made by God, and we're called to do good for God. So next week, if you're a member, you'll have an opportunity to vote yes, hopefully, on purchasing this house so we can reach college students. And let me just say this right now, okay? Buildings don't save people. 
But at the same time, having space set aside to where students can feel comfortable and conversations can happen and lives can be changed. That, it aids it, but it doesn't save them. And my guess, my question for us today is, if we're going to be made right with God and we're going to do right for God, why? What's the purpose in that? The purpose is so that we can finish right beside God. I want to share this story. And I've heard this before. I grew up in church. Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. If you've grown up around the church, you may have heard this story. But I was thinking about what's on the test. You know, I was never very good at understanding what was going to be on the test. So I never studied the right information. But those of you who got good grades, you're probably smart. And secondly, maybe you learned, you kind of knew what was on the test. Jesus talks about what we're going to be evaluated by in Matthew chapter 25, verses 21 through 46. Jesus says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. Do you have this in your mind? Everybody being gathered together. And he will separate the people. Imagine if you had a corral of sheep and, go- sheep and goats. And you started dividing them. That's a sheep, that's a goat. He's going to separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right side. And the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come. You are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. And then he says, why? If you love me, you obey my commands. Love is an action word. Faith without works is dead. Jesus says, I'll tell you why you inherit the kingdom of heaven. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, let's read it, and you gave me a drink. Now check this out. You fed me, that's an action, isn't it? You gave me a drink, that's an action, isn't it? You invited me into your home, that's an action. I was naked and you gave me clothing, another action. I was sick and you were busy and you didn't want to be sick. But you knew someone needed to care for you. And so you cared for me. I was in prison. When everybody else said, well, they're in prison, I guess their life's shot. We just need to forget about them. You didn't, you visited me. Then these, what kind of people? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for, what was that? Righteousness. Then these righteous ones will reply, well, Lord... When did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, he calls the sheep his brothers and sisters. There's a way that seems right. Some of us, we call ourselves sheep. 
Jesus says on that day, some people are thinking their sheeps are going to be goats because they didn't do anything for the least of these. Who are the least of these? The Judas, the Peter, the homeless, the widows, the orphans. The person that doesn't deserve your time and you really don't want to give him your time, but you give him your time because God won't let you go. When you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And then the king, I don't like this. I, I don't even like preaching this. But it's the truth. There's a life after death. There's a heaven. And there's a hell. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil. And then he tells them why. If you love me, you will. What is that? Obey. Obey with your actions. Obey with your tongue. Obey with your money. Obey with your time. Obey when God nudges you. Away with you, you cursed ones. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, but God, I would have given you something to drink when I retired. I kept meaning to. I just, there was just so much going on. My, my kids were growing up. I was, I was busy. I was a stranger. Hold up. Wait. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I didn't know. I didn't know who you were. I didn't have time. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. Now, I thought about that. You remember, I thought about adopting those orphans overseas. I thought about it. But we just could not afford to do that. We couldn't afford it. And, and I know you convicted me about it. But you know what? I, I, we need to adopt our own kids. What do we need to adopt other kids? And, and I just didn't. I was sick and in prison. And you didn't visit me. Jesus will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help. The least of these, my brothers and sisters, you, you were refusing to help me. And then he says, they will go to their punishment and the righteous will go to eternal life. The secret to getting life right, because there's a way that seems right, but it ends in death. Jesus says the secret to getting life right to being being made right doing right being made right and doing right being made right and doing right being made right and doing right by their fruits don't judge me by their fruits you will recognize them you don't need to tell people they know they know by what comes out your mouth for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks they know by your actions, 
You don't need to tell them. You think you're tricking them? They know. Faith without works is dead. Jesus says, you want to know those who are going to be more than happy? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who value holy over happy, who desire God's ways over our ways. This morning, I don't know what you need to do with that. But what I do know today is that the grace is, is that we can be made right by just simply asking Jesus into our heart. And we can be made right by confessing an attitude that's taken up idolatry in our heart. But at the same time, there's people all around us that need Jesus. And that's why Jesus preached so long, two chapters on teaching, not only being made right, but doing right. As we stand together this morning, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Are you doing the things that he's wanting you and calling you to do? We can fill our lives with all kinds of different things, but it's only his righteousness and his power and his spirit and his presence that can satisfy us. And when someone is filled with his presence, people see it and they want it. This morning we have the opportunity to take communion and celebrate that God connected himself to us and jumped out of that plane for us. And was, his body was broken and his blood shed so that we could be made right and that we could do right. We serve open communion here, which simply means if you have a relationship with God, we encourage you to partake. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. This morning as we sing this last song, if you'd like to come and receive Christ, if you'd like to come and remember what he's done for you, and as you come, if you'd like to come and say, God, I choose to figuratively do for others what you've literally did for me. Lord Jesus, here's our heart. Father, I pray that you'd speak truth to us. Father, you call us to, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, which is being made right. Father, loving our neighbor as ourself is doing right. Being made right and doing right helps us finish right. Father, I pray today that you'd help us to do that. Father, help us to love you. Help us to show, show us how to love you, God. Lord, if there's things in our life that we love more than you, Father, would you speak that to us? Would you reveal that to us? Not just to scold us, but so that we can, because if we want to obey you, Lord, if we want to be pleasing to you, when you bring those things to us, we're going to 
correct those because we want to please you. So, Father, thank you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to love you and love others in a way that brings glory to you. We thank you, God, for who you are. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And that makes us more than happy. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have a blessed Sunday.